we love we love being together. As Jacques said, we love worshiping together, uh, spending time with each other, and, and so you're most welcome. Um, if it is your first time, a couple of, couple of things. If you would do me a favor and grab a Connect card, it looks just like that. It's in the seat back in front of you. Take a minute to fill out some information about yourself, and then you can drop this in the offering basket in a few minutes. Uh, we just love the opportunity to follow up with you this week. Uh, you can also, if it is your first time, please stop by the Hub after service, and we have uh, a special gift for you, and we'd just love to bless you this morning. So again, thanks for being with us today. On the back of that same card is a place for us to share our prayer requests and thrive stories. Prayer requests are those places where, where we need someone to partner with us in prayer. We're a church that believes that God moves in the midst of prayer, that he answers prayer, that he's faithful, and that he hears. And so we want to partner with you. Uh, and then also, thrive stories are testimonies of what God's doing in your life. And we'd love to hear what God is doing, the victories that have been secured, the way that God is moving in your life. And so draw, you can drop those in the offering basket or take those back to the hub as well. In your bulletin, there's a couple of things you want to make note of that are coming up. Uh, first of all, we're, we're giving a lot of uh, headway or, or, or advance notice, rather, for our baptism service, which is coming up July 1st. Now, it's weird that we're talking about stuff that's happening in July, but that's just kind of the reality of this year, isn't it? It's just kind of flying by. Um, but we want to give you plenty of time to prepare for that. If you've never been baptized in water and you've ne never made that public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we're creating space and an opportunity for you to do just that. Um, you know, sometimes you talk about baptism, there can be uh, questions that come up or I don't know, maybe I was baptized earlier, I was baptized as a baby, did that count? Or if you have questions, would you talk to me? I'd love to just, I'd just love to dialogue with you about that. We, we are going to be having, and we'll announce this later on, uh, just a, a short baptism class, uh, just, just a, like an hour-long gathering where we'll talk a little bit more about baptism. Um, parents, if you have a child who's in elementary school or age, uh, older who expresses an interest in getting baptized, we'd love we love baptizing kids. Uh, our only requirement is this. They have to be able to articulate themselves why they're getting baptized and articulate their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but the faith of a child stepping into the water and being baptized is a huge thing. Uh, it's also a huge opportunity for us to invite family members and, uh, and declare Jesus to people in our lives. So make note of that. Um, also coming up is our summer camp program for kids and youth. Uh, the deadline is, is coming, but here's what I want to encourage you. I just talked to our, our district next-gen leader who oversees all of our, our camps, and she was telling me that camps are starting to fill up, especially the combo camp that we'll be going to with our youth. So don't wait till the deadline. I can't guarantee there'll be space. So if you're planning on going to camp, please get your registration form in as soon as possible. Uh, we already have, I believe, the largest group, if, without all of the registrations in, the largest group we've ever sent, sent to camp already planned to go this summer. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, and so make note of that. Also check out your bullets and some other things that are going on. I want to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to honor the Lord and continue to worship with our giving this morning. God is a blessing in our lives. He blesses us in every regard even our finances. And so it's an honor to be able to give back to him with joyful hearts out of the abundance that he's poured into our lives. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you care about the details of our lives. 
And so this morning, Lord, we come as a, in, in, in a heart of worship, Lord, and we give out of the abundance that you've poured into our lives, and we say thank you. Lord, I pray that you would take these gifts and that you would use them for the glory and the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers are passing the baskets, I wanted to let you know about something and give you an opportunity to do something uh, to address an issue and something that's taking place here in the state of California. A few months ago, there was a bill introduced to the California Assembly, uh, AB 2943. AB 2943, the language of that bill is centered around protections for, for homosexual and transgender people. And, uh, and while the language of the bill focuses on uh, mitigating what would be seen as discrimination, in the language and the, the minutia of the bill, essentially what ends up happening is there is the potential for free speech, especially in regards to pastors and Christian leaders, to be restricted. Um, and the sale of any goods or any material, uh, books and such, that would uh, speak against an alternative lifestyle. It's unlikely that this bill will uh, be will will make it through a judicial review. If you've not been following, it's already passed the assembly, um, and, and it wasn't even a close vote. It was it was passed with a huge majority. It's currently under judicial review, and again, constitutionally, the language it's unlikely that it'll hold up. But here's the way the enemy works. He takes little steps. He takes little steps. And so it's important for us as the church to take a stand. And there's a few ways that you can do that. If you want to jot down in your notes or on your phone, there's a website that's been set up by the California Family Coalition, ab2943.com, and it's the number, ab 2943.com, and you can read there a whole bunch of information about what, what this bill is all about, and there's some action steps that you can take as a believer and as a, as a, uh, a citizen of the United States of America and of uh, the state of California, resident of the state of California, some easy things. They even have a letter and a template you can download, but here's what we're doing as a church. I will be uh, sending a letter to our representatives and to the state capitol, and I want to include in that letter your signatures. And so if, if you would like to participate in that after service at the hub, uh, there is a couple of forms that you can, you can fill out your name and your address. The address is important because you have to verify that you're a resident of the state of California. Otherwise, your, your name doesn't count towards uh, just that onslaught of names that is going to Sacramento. But if you would do that after the service, just stop by the hub, fill out your name and your address, and then this, this next week I will be sending a letter to Sacramento expressing our concern over this particular bill. Um, an easy way for us to take a stand. Amen? All right. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 5. We are continuing in our series. Actually, let me pause there for a second. I think we need to pray. Let's pray. Father God, we... we love that you are in control. And we just declare to the enemy this morning, Jesus won. We're on the winning team. But Lord, we recognize as well that the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so in the midst of this, this era that we live in, Lord, that there are people whose lives are being destroyed. There are people whose lives are living in a lie. And the enemy would love nothing more than to perpetuate that. 
And so, Jesus, we take a stand this morning as the body of Christ, and we ask that truth would prevail in the places, Lord, in government and in a community and as a nation, Lord, where the enemy wants to perpetrate lies against your people and those who are deceived and those who are weak. God, that your truth would stand. Holy Spirit, bring conviction Bring conviction by your mighty hand. I pray that every letter, every phone call, everything that has been done, Lord, to take a stand would be done in love, but Lord, that it would be also done in truth. So Lord, we submit this to your sovereign hand in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing a series called Along the Way, Walking with Jesus, Along the Way, we're talking about the fact that Jesus' ministry happened over uh, thousands of miles of walking over the three years that he was uh, it, it, part of his formal ministry and tens of thousands of miles over the course of his life. The fact is, is that in Israel at that time, if you wanted to go somewhere, most likely you were strapping on your sandals and you were going for a walk. That's just the way that it worked. And so conservative estimates are that Jesus walked over 3,000 miles. 3,000 miles. Uh, and I've mentioned over these last few weeks, when I got to, is- to visit Israel last year, it was my first time there, I was struck by how big the country is. I always think about Israel as being really little. And, and by comparison, it is relatively small. I've shared how from Galilee from the northern part of Galilee and Capernaum to Jerusalem is about the same distance from where we are today to San Diego. And so, you know, in, in consideration of our, how vast our nation is, that doesn't seem that long. But if I were to ask you to walk to San Diego, all of a sudden it's a lot longer, right? And, and that's about the half, half of the length of the nation of Israel. And I just kept picturing as I was looking out the window, Jesus walking with his entourage, with his disciples and everyone else who traveled with them. And I started thinking about how many conversations were had along the way. How many campfires and how many homes they visited and how many things that Jesus said. And in fact, John chapter 21 verse 25, John tells us, he says that, that Jesus did other things as well. And if, if every one of them were written down, I, I love John's language here. Well, I suppose that even the whole world would not have a room for the books that would be written. So there was a lot more that happened than what we just read in the Gospels. And I think we forget that sometimes. And it can seem so distant. Well, that was thousands of years ago in a country that's thousands of miles away. But the reality is I believe Jesus wants to meet us along the way still. That he wants to have conversations with us, not just during a quiet time in the morning or on Sunday morning at church or at a Bible study, but he wants to meet us along the way every day, everywhere we go, because Jesus walks with us. In fact, we used to sing a song years ago in church, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And I think we forget that. Jesus wants to meet us along the way. We've talked about Mary and Martha in the city of Bethany. In fact, if we can bring up the map here on the side, I'll, I'll give you a little quick overview of where we've been. So we started out uh, down in Jerusalem, all the way down here. We started in Bethany on that first week and talked about Mary and Martha and Jesus' encounter with the two of them and uh, Mary cho- choosing 
the better thing. Then we moved up to Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, about 110 miles north, where Jesus fed the 5,000. And then last week on Mother's Day, we went over to the west to the city of Cana, or the community of Cana, so right over in this area. And today, we're going back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right there. So we're heading back south to Jerusalem, just to give you a sense of where we're going. And uh, we're going to pull up a little map. This is the city of Jerusalem, and I want to point out a, a few things uh, that, that took place. By the way, I want to insert here, if you are interested in going to Israel with us, we are planning a trip, and I just got the dates this week. And so I'm going to give those to you. We don't have any material. We don't have any slides or anything yet because we're, we're waiting on a couple more details. But, but I'll give you this. It's a little teaser. Uh, next year, 2019, September 2nd through the 14th. So it's a Friday through a Monday. Uh, we'll be taking whoever wants to go to Israel to Israel. The cost of the trip is $3,800. And it's all, almost all inclusive. It includes your flight hotel, entry to every, everything we do, and then breakfast and dinner each day. The only thing you have to cover is lunch each day and, uh, and any souvenirs you want to buy. I want to tell you right now, for that long of a trip, that's an amazing price. Uh, we also wanted to give you a long time to be able to plan. So September 2nd, uh, through the 14th, we'd love it if you joined us. It's an amazing time. Uh, we're going with a group of, uh, we're, it's not just our church, it's, it's a group of churches in our district, so we'll be get connecting with churches from Hawaii and Arizona. Uh, there's a group of pastors that our district supervisor is going to take, uh, some young pastors and church planters, and so uh, if you've never been, I want to encourage you, I want to really encourage you to, to go and experience the Holy Land. It's pretty amazing. Okay, I'm going to shift gears. Um, I have a confession to make it. Maybe more just of a statement, but maybe a confession. I love fast internet. Anyone with me on that? Right? I love fast internet. Every time I get an, an ad in the mail, right, which is like every day, and I realize that the speeds have gone up, right, there's just that part of me is like, well, I got to get it. I got to get it. Right? And I know this because fast internet makes me happy. How do I know? Slow internet. <laughs> Slow internet. Our church office, for some reason, we are the one business park in the city of Glendora that cannot, physically cannot get good internet. We, our, our speed at the office, at the best, on the best day, our DSL, because we don't have fiber that comes to that building, for, it's across the street. See, I'm a little frustrated over this. Three megabytes per second. Yes. I love fast internet. But let me ask you something. Do you remember this? Go for it, Aiden. If you know what that is, raise your hand. If you have no idea what that is, raise your hand. All right, all the young people are like, what on earth is that? That, my friends, is called dial-up. And at, at its first iteration, it was, get, get this, 56K. 56K. And when it came out, it was the most amazing thing ever. I remember, well, my first computer was this. 
We'll show you a picture. That was my first computer. Now, I didn't take that picture. I happened to find, there's just nerds out there that collect these things. That is an Epson Equity 2 Plus. And, and that, that box on the bottom is the CPU, and it weighed like 500 pounds. Monochrome monitor, right? And, and then for those of you who don't know, that, that little latch and little slot right there, that was for a floppy drive. A floppy disk. Not the little one, the big one that really was floppy, right? <laughs> I remember going to, in, to, to Sears. I, go, I remember going to Sears. We were living in Hawaii at the time. And we went to Sears in Hilo because that was the big city. And they had their computers on display. And there was like four of them. And they were just kind of tucked away in a corner of the, the, of the, 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 the store there. And they had their Tandy computers. You guys remember Tandy computers? And, and they had this thing called AOL. <laughs> right? And everyone was just like, this is incredible. This is amazing. Right? And then, and then movies like You've Got Mail came out, came out. Right? And now it's like, I wish I didn't have mail. Just go away and leave me alone. <laughs> Internet speed has taught me a couple of things. First, it's taught me I'm not very patient. I'm not very patient. It's also taught me that I don't appreciate the small things quite often. I don't appreciate the small things. Something that just we take for granted. Oh, it's just, it's a norm. It's a part of life, running water, electricity, things that we consider, well, that's just, yeah, I need those things. See, when you know what's available, you can get frustrated with what you have. When you know what's available, you can become frustrated with what you have, even if what you have is good. So John chapter 5, we're going to talk about the pool of Bethesda. So like I said, we're back in Jerusalem we're going to talk about the man who was healed at the Pool of Bethesda. I want to show you this map of Jerusalem. So this is uh, the northern party of the par- party, part of the city of Jerusalem as in the time of Jesus. This is a, an ancient map. So the temple would have been right here on the Temple Mount, which today is uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, one of the, well, not one of, the most hotly contested pieces of uh, real estate on the planet Right to the north of the temple is the Sheep Gate. This is the eastern gate where Jesus will make his return. This is the Kidron Valley in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus returns, he will come down the Mount of Olives through the Garden, through the Kidron Valley, and ascend to the Temple Mount through the eastern gate right here. The pool uh, has a different name on this map, but it has multiple names. But the Pool of Bethesda is so just to the north of the Sheep Gate, just outside of Jerusalem. So this is where this story takes place. So we're going to read this passage out of John chapter 5. It says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there 
and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead down of me, it goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, picked up his mat and he walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. It's a pretty amazing story of what takes place here. And, and like the city of Jerusalem, there's lots of layers. Why do I say that? When Israel, what they're, they're constantly doing is digging. They're constantly digging. In fact, throughout the nation, they have what's called tells. In those times, what they would do when a city was destroyed, destroyed or a community was destroyed, they would just fill it in with dirt and then build the new city on top of the old city. And so Jerusalem is literally layers of old city. And so what archaeologists will do is they'll go in and they will dig and discover what each of those layers are and what exists there. There's a couple of ways they can do that. They can just remove one layer at a time, or they do a slice where they will go cut down right through the middle and remove part of and so they'll be able to see, like, like imagine a cake. They can just see all of the different layers. In fact, here's a picture of the pool of Bethesda, which, as you can tell, the pool is right down in the bottom there, and there's the colonnade. You can see those arches. Um, but on the left side, there's all of this dirt. Well, that dirt didn't used to be there. That's been filled in over the centuries. And in fact, the pool of Bethesda is one of the more recent discoveries in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, when we were there visiting the Pool of Bethesda, in fact, uh, we had, there was a, another tour group that was around, and um, one of the reasons, by the way, that we waiting till next year to, to go to Israel, first because it gives us time to save, but the other is this, we're waiting for the right tour guide. There's a tour guide that our district supervisor uses who's considered one of the best in Israel. Um, and I, I got to, to see why that was important because there was another group from India that had come up and their tour guide, I literally heard him say this, walked up to the edge, you can see the rail and the people were going, well, what's this? And the tour guide said, oh, that's nothing, that's just an old pool. And then they walked away. This is not just an old pool. This is the pool of Bethesda. This is the pool after which, right, Bethesda Hospital in Maryland is named after this pool is a big deal, especially when it comes to talking about healing. Well, this, this pool was discovered and it was shown to be under all of these different layers. Okay, one more kind of nerdy historical archaeological thing, but it, it actually bears a lot of import for what's happening in Israel today. One of the reasons that the Temple Mount is so contested is that the, the Muslims refuse to let archaeologists dig. Because their statement is that there has never been a temple on this, on this ground in this place. And so they won't let anyone dig because if you dig, you're going to find the evidence that proves, right? And so it just gives you a little bit of understanding why that place is so important. So this pool of Bethesda, a unique place, water is important in Israel because it's a desert, and this pool was fed by a, sp a spring. 
What was unique about this pool, though, is that in verse 7, we see this man say, well, when the water is stirred, there's no one to help me get to the water. Well, what does that mean? I don't know if you noticed in the Lectio Divina reading this week, uh, or even as we just read this verse, but there is no verse 4. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5 and skips over verse 4. The reason for that is verse 4 and the, 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 the content of verse 4 was, uh, wasn't included in early manuscripts, and they believe it was added by later scholars who were just trying to create some context. But verse 4 says that from time to time, an angel from the Lord would come and stir the waters. And when the waters were stirred, anyone who was sick or, or disabled, when they got into the water, that they would be made well. And it seems like from the accounts is that it was a very short period of time. And so this man, when talking about being healed, says, when the water stirred, I can't get there in time. There's no one to help me. And so I'm not able to get into that water. And so You could imagine if there's a pool in your community that you knew that every now and again the water would be stirred and if you jumped in, whatever was wrong with you would be made better, there's going to be a crowd, right? Probably a crowd of people that need healing. Amen? And so that's the view here in Israel. So this is a crowded place and you can tell it's not very big. You can see, by the way, on the, on the, that's the west side, those would have been the steps leading down into the pool. And so Jesus, it could have been that this, this entire account happened right next to or right in the vicinity of where those steps are. I want to talk about a couple of things that stand out along the way here in this passage with this man. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. First thing is this, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Let me go back to the dial-up. It took a while. If you wanted to be on the internet, it wasn't like you just hopped on the internet, right? You had to plan it and hope there was a connection, right? And then whatever you did took time. Imagine being this man sitting close to the pool, knowing that healing was available right there but I can't get there. The frustration that must have existed inside of him, not being able to lay hold of the thing he so longed for, right there. There's no one to help me. 38 years is a long time. 38 years is a long time. We don't know from the story whether he was crippled from birth or if, if it was an accident later in life, it doesn't tell us his age. All we know is that for 38 years, he had not had the ability to walk. And so his statement is, when the water is stirred, there's no one here to help me. We have to try and understand a little bit of why that would be the case. Again, without having all of the details, what this says to me, though, is, Even the people around him had kind of given up hope. See, other beggars were put at the gates, all those gates that surrounded Jerusalem, they were put at the gates, and so their family would say, well, listen, you're not really worth anything to our family because you you, you can't contribute. At least you can sit here and beg and try and get some money. This man, and we don't know if it was the only place he hung out, it was the Pool of Bethesda, but this particular day, he happens to be there. 
But there's no one around him to help him out. It's almost like he just gets dropped off there. And hey, if it works out, it works out. If not, oh well. After 38 years, I would imagine that his hope was diminishing that there would ever be any healing. So again, that frustration, it's right there. And when it happens, all, and then add to that level of frustration the fact that you see other people getting healed. Could you imagine what was going through his heart and mind? Does God know that I'm here? Does he care? Does God see me? Why that guy and not me? And I imagine that's right in line with maybe questions you've asked in your life. But we can't forget this. God's timing is perfect. He's not subject to our timetable. We fit into his kingdom where he needs us to fit. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. By the way, when when the writers of the Bible say don't forget something, it probably means, right? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We get a little glimpse of God's perspective and God's heart here. We've talked about uh, in the past, and, and, and I'll mention again this morning, the fact that we are created for eternity. We are created for eternity. That, that our time here on this earth, this life, is just a moment compared to eternity. And that God's greatest desire is that in this moment we would receive Him as our Lord and Savior. That we would submit our, our lives and surrender to Him so that we can spend eternity with Him. Because if we don't, the alternative is that we spend etern- eternity separated from Him. And so... His slowness and keeping that promise and what Peter is expressing here is that God's priority is that he does not want anyone to perish. He does not want anyone to perish. In fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still, say it with me, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What Paul is saying is your spiritual legs didn't work. And you lack the ability to pick yourself up and move yourself into a place of healing and salvation. But at just the right time, Jesus came. And at just the right moment, he died. And he did what he needed to do to secure for us our place in eternity. God's timing is perfect perfect. Now, I know this. This statement and this verse intersects all of us in different ways. Because we're all walking a different journey, and we're all experiencing different things, and we all have different hurts, and we all have different places of brokenness that we need God to move in. And so you might be going, I get it. I hear what you're saying but I don't really like it that much. And that's okay. That's okay. I I don't think God's offended at you 
I don't think God's offended. I think God's heart of compassion extends to you. We don't see with his perspective. See, faith and trust are so connected to each other that to the degree that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and, and in the Father and his timing will trust how that works out practically in our lives. 38 years is a long time. However, Jesus shows up and walks up to him and has this encounter with him, this engagement with him, this conversation with him. Says to him, do you want to get well? Asks him that question. Now, we're at the pool of Bethesda. And there's sick people everywhere. And I imagine the people standing around Jesus, if they lived, let's say in the 80s, they would have been like, duh, right? <laughs> of course he wants to get well. But Jesus asks him the question because there has to be a revelation of what's going on inside of this man. He asks him, do you want to get well? And notice the man's response. He doesn't just say, yes, I want to get well. He, he immediately goes to what he considers the source of his healing. Listen, when the water's stirred, there's no one to help me to get to the place where I can get well. And so he, he kind of answers the question in kind of a roundabout way. Yeah, I'd like to get well, but it's not possible because I don't have someone to help me. Then Jesus simply says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he does. You know what I love? Is that Jesus didn't pick him up and put him in the water. Right? He didn't pick him up and put him in the water. The word of God was enough. The one who previously was the one dispatching the angel to go and stir the water now stood face to face with this crippled man. And he said, get up and walk. And he got up and he walked. God's timing is perfect. Can I encourage you this morning? I don't know what it is you're waiting for. And I know that it can be frustrating and it can be painful. But can I encourage you today? God's timing is perfect. I really can't even say anything beyond that. Now it's your chance, your responsibility to respond to Jesus when he would say, do you want fill in the blank? Will he do it right then? Maybe. It's, it's confusing. It's perplexing. Why do some people receive a physical healing instantly? And why for some does it take years? I was just talking to my mom last night about my grandmother who died at 56 years old from brain cancer lady who loved Jesus with all her heart, walking through a journey where, unfortunately, their church at the time was telling my grandfather it was because of sin in her life, right? And we do weird, funky things as a church and as a people sometimes that add to people's burdens, not alleviate. And I know for my mom, that wound still lingers, that wounding in, in the midst of what should be the most caring place in the world. 
why does that happen? And for others, as we've experienced even recently in our church, cancer gets obliterated. Because he's God and we're not. And we will seek and we will press and we will ask and we will be the persistent widow and we will take God at his word. And at the end of the day, he has an eternal perspective and his timing is perfect. So let me say this as I move to the next point. If you need healing, we want to stand with you and ask. Because we have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the waiting... Our prayer is that God do something and teach something and grow something in us. Amen? Next thing is this. So God's timing is perfect. Next thing is this. Big miracles, small miracles. That's my point. Big miracles, comma, small miracles. This man hadn't walked in 38 years. Again, we don't know if he was crippled from birth and never had walked or it had been he had, he had, it was later in life, maybe as a young man, he got injured. And so now, 38 years later, he remembers being able to walk, but hasn't had that ability. Either way, there's some miracles that happen here, and this is the layers I'm talking about. The big miracle is this. Jesus says, get up and walk, and he gets up. He has the strength in his legs. Whatever was broken in his body was instantly repaired, And he now has the physical strength, the muscle strength, the the skeletal strength. His joints come together and he stands up and picks up his mat and he starts walking. He just does what Jesus said for him to do. But you know this and I know this, that if you've not walked for 38 years and maybe your your strength comes back, you're probably going to need physical therapy to learn to walk again. So there's the big miracle, there's a healing that comes, but but there's little miracles that accompany it, and it's all covered in one, is this. Not only is the strength returned and his body healed, but he instantly knows how to walk. He instantly knows how to walk. See, when God brings healing and when God moves, he doesn't move partially. And there's theology out there that says, well, God does his bit and then you do your bit. In fact, this line, which is a lie from the pit of hell, God helps those who? Yeah, wrong. Because Paul tells us in Romans, while you were powerless. God helps us because we can't help ourselves. That's the point of the gospel. God moves and he moves completely. It might not always be in a way we understand or comprehend, but we have to see the layers taking place, the big miracles and the small miracles. See, Jesus is in the details. He's in the details. And I think we can get distracted looking for the huge move of God and miss him daily in the little things. Walking with Jesus along the way. How, how often do you get up in the morning and take a breath and go, Jesus, thank you for that breath I just took. Come on, that is a miracle of God right there. God, I wrote that check believing that there would be the finances to, to pay whatever that bill was. 
And God, you came through. God's always moving in big ways and small ways. And again, I think we, we miss the small things because sometimes we're looking for the <gasps> awestruck, awesome, amazing, majestic moves of God. We need to learn to give thanks daily for his protection, for his providence and for his provision, for moving in unseen ways. Get in the habit of thanking God for doing things on your behalf that you don't even know about. Because he does. There's things that he does in directing our steps that we're not even aware of where he takes care of us. So at the end of the day, just start thanking him. Thank you, God, for everything you did, to, did for me today or on behalf of me today that I didn't even know about. And watch what happens to your heart. Acts chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. See, it's not just about Jesus. We see this taking place. This Peter and John and the man who also had been crippled. Taking him by the right hand after they had said to him, get up and walk. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And listen to this. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. See, for someone who is an invalid in Jerusalem at that time, not only were you not able to work, you weren't able to worship either. You needed to be able to walk into the temple to worship the Lord. And if you were crippled, you didn't have that ability. In fact, this man in John chapter 5, Jesus encounters him again a couple of verses later, and he encounters him in the temple. Because these people, what they wanted so much was to be able to go and worship God in the temple. And so this healing leads them not just to a place where they can walk, they now recognize that I have the ability to walk into the presence of God, into this place where I can sing his praise. I love this man in Acts chapter 3. Not only am I walking, I'm leaping and jumping and praising, and everybody's going to know it. Do people know what God's doing in your life, the big and the small? We talk about thrive stories, and it's not just so that we can keep a tally or, or make a report. Thrive stories are important because what God is doing in our lives serves to build the faith of the people around us. So maybe you don't put it on a card, but would you tell someone today maybe something God's done in your life this week, a way that, has shown, that he has shown himself faithful? And I believe as we look for God in the small things, we'll see more of the big things. Amen? All right. And then finally this morning, third point, people over piety. People over piety. The day that Jesus healed this man was the Sabbath. And so he starts walking around with his mat, which is restricted by the law. You cannot do work on the Sabbath. You cannot carry your mat on the Sabbath. And so the teachers of the law come up to him. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? <laughs> hey, 20 minutes ago, 
I can walk. 20 minutes ago, I couldn't do this, and now I can. You're missing the big picture. (laughs) You're missing the big picture. Now, unfortunately, this isn't the only time that this happens with Jesus. It's not the only time where he does something on the Sabbath where he gets challenged. And I love that Jesus just kind of doesn't care. Not in the way that they did, at least. I mentioned last week that Jesus has to and does and did honor the law. In fact, his statement was, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to complete it. And part of that completion is, is you've read those words and you've interpreted them to mean something they don't mean. The Bible says that God desires obedience over sacrifice. And the law had just become something sacrificial. I won't carry my mat on the Sabbath because somehow God is made bigger in the midst of this. God really doesn't care about the mat. What he cares about is that you focus on him and that there's a place where you turn your attention because we live busy lives. They lived busy lives. And so from the beginning, God's command was six days you will work on the seventh day you'll rest. Why? If I don't tell you to do that, you'll just work seventh days and then seven days and then you'll think that everything you have comes from your own hands, that you did it, that you didn't need my help and you'll forget about me. And the reality is that one day set set aside for the Lord feeds you and gives you the thing you need the most, a relationship with God. For them, it became about the mat or how many steps you walked. You go to Israel today, and if you go next year, you'll see this on the Sabbath. There's the Sabbath elevators where you, if you're practicing Judaism, you cannot push the button on the elevator that is considered work. So the Sabbath elevator stops at every floor on the way up and on the way down. And you want to make sure if you're in a hotel, you don't get on that elevator, right? Because we're all in a hurry and we got to be somewhere. It becomes about these little details and God says, no, you're missing me. You're missing me. And I believe that while we might not address the law the same way that the Jews did in those days and even today, that there's things that we in our Christian experience, put above people. That we take piety, we take these practices of being closer to God and honoring God and speaking with our holier-than-now voices. Right? And we forget about people. We miss the very people that God wants to speak to. Jesus says this in Mark 2, chapter 27, verse 28. This is, by the way, the, the, the scene here is they're walking through a field with the disciples and the disciples are picking grains of he, heads of grain and just popping in, them, in their mouths and eating them, right? And the teachers who followed Jesus, like, you know, it's that kid in class who just always wanted to tell on you, teacher, hey, 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 they're eating grain on the Sabbath, they're picking grain, that's work. <laughs> Jesus says this to them. The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for a Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's a little snarkiness in here. 
I'm the boss. <laughs> I made the Sabbath. It's for me, and it's for them. It's not for you to whine and complain. Stop it. Right? The Sabbath was made for man. God designed Sabbath for us because he knows and knew that we needed it. We needed rest. Can I just tell you today, you need rest. You need a place where you can slow down and focus on Jesus and spend some time in his presence and feel his pleasure and feel his love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. And we'll close with this. This is the prophecy given to John in the book of Revelation. It says this to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. And if we stopped there, we'd have been like, yes! This is the model for what church should be. We need to, let's write a book and have a conference and tell other people how we're doing what they were doing. Because it was awesome. <laughs> Except then we read the rest. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You read about the church in Ephesus and even reading the book of Ephesians. They were an impactful, powerful group of people. God was doing amazing things in, the midst, in their midst. Yet here in this word against them, you're doing all the right things. It looks, you're going through the motions. You're calling out the stuff you need to call out. You need, you're moving in the ways that you need to move. You persevere. You work hard. Oh my goodness, you work so hard. But you've forgotten the most important thing. Love. Love. And it's, and it's two points of love. It's first this, your love for me. We get so busy doing for God that we miss God. We get so busy talking about Jesus that we forget to talk to Jesus. And he's going, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to just stop for 30 seconds and just say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me right now? I want to ask you to raise your hand because I know that, that I think we would all raise our hands. Jesus is here and I know you believe that. He's here in the room. He's with us. And we, we, hear, we make statements. Well, what if God was here right now? Uh, he is here right now. Even like the WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Ask him. Okay, Lord, what would you do in this circumstance? And that he will speak. That he's present to speak. That the Holy Spirit will minister to you. Right here, right now. But we get so busy, I'm talking about Jesus, and I'm arguing for Jesus. I'm doing stuff, right, because I, I got a job to do, and we miss him. And here's what I know. If we stop loving Jesus, what I can't do anymore is love people.
my capacity and my ability to love people well is directly related to how well I love Jesus. Because otherwise, I don't know how. I don't have, I'm powerless. I can't get myself to that point. Because most days, if I'm honest and I'm not with Jesus, people annoy me. They drive me a little crazy. Come on, I'm at the stoplight this morning behind a, a person who's on their phone. And the light was green for like eight seconds. <laughs> I'm going to be eight seconds later than I already am. And I just, <laughs> and I'm getting, getting ready to preach the sermon. And Jesus says, I love that person. Do you? Well, I don't know that person. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Do you love them? See, Jesus was more concerned with people than he was with piety. The people walking around with their, their tassels and their phylacteries, right, the Bible says. And they're symbols of how much they love God and they missed the man standing right in front of them. And not only that, they missed the man who had just been healed after 38 years. Can I encourage you this morning? Fall back in love with Jesus every single day. When the enemy comes, as Jesus says, to steal, kill, and destroy, what I believe what he wants to steal and kill is and destroy is our love for him, our trust in him, our faith in him. It is the anchor. We sang these words this morning. It is the foundation for everything in our lives. You know, I hear people talking about the fact that we don't see the miraculous as we see maybe even in the scripture. Why is it just not a part of our norm? And I believe God wants to, but I think part of the problem is, is that when the miraculous happens... We want to write a book to tell other people how to do what we just did. And listen, hear my heart. There's some great material and there's things that people are writing that is God-inspired and it's awesome. But because we're broken, so often what we default to is building our kingdoms and not His kingdom. I believe that God would move in greater ways and greater, the, the greater signs and wonders if we develop the capacity to steward it well, then that happens when we love Jesus. Jesus even said to the people of his day, listen, you're following me because you just want me to see, you want to see me do some sign and wonder. But you actually don't care about having a relationship with me. And the same can be true for us. Jesus is standing right in front of you, asking, what do you, what do you want? What do you need? Do you want to be better? Do you want to be made whole? I have it. I have it to give. He's not going to force himself. There's an incredible, eternal invitation that's been extended. We stand together as we close. We invite the worship team to come up. His timing is perfect. Big and small miracles every single day. Probably a lot more small miracles than you realize. 
and people over piety. And that starts with you. God sees you. He knows you. But he calls us to be in love with him so we can see others and minister to them. We close our eyes and let's close in prayer. Father God, this morning, thank you for this account. Thank you that this was included in the gospel of John, that we can read about this man who had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life. And God, like that man, we're broken. Some physically, maybe emotionally, mentally, God, that we can struggle with our thinking. And at the end of the day, we do not have the power in and of ourselves to make ourselves better. But thanks be to God who has given us everything we need through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you have offered salvation, that you have offered healing, that you've extended your loving hand and your loving arms to us, and that you embrace us, that you see us, that you know our names, you know our circumstance, and Lord, that you are not at a distance, you're not aloof, that you're not fed up, that you're not irritated by us. That you love nothing more than to be with us, to move in our midst. And so, God, I pray that we would trust you more. That we would call on you more and that we would be more in love with you every single day. We give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.